Welcome to the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with a guy who apparently has bad Wi-Fi. Brock, how are you today? Man, I'm doing well, but listen, that's a low blow to start the show. Come on. I mean, I feel like a, a sixth or seventh man in a Brett Brown rotation as a co-host on the Feed to Embiid. I never know Ooh. when the hell I'm going to get called to action. But when I get caught, I always show up and deliver. So, Austin, let's get this. Let's get this rocking. Sounds good to me. So we have, you know, there's a lot that sort of has been has been going on um, in the league since we last talked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, at most pertinent to Sixers fans is is the fact that, you know, they've been sort of there's been a lot of names out on the coaching market uh, that they're rumored to be looking at. Um, I think, you know, most recently now you have names like Sam Cassell is suddenly in the mix somewhere. Jason Kidd, um, Mike Brown was something that I read. And, and, and my, and my dad, my, my dad does this thing where he reads literally every writer except for me. <laughs> so, so he'll, he'll send me. That's odd. That, that's really odd. Right? right. It's like, a, it's like a dig yeah. at me. I, I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, but he'll like, he'll, he'll, he'll read. You know, like guys like Keith Pompey, um, and he'll read, uh, you know, like Paul Hudrick and and Noah Levick and Kyle Newbeck, and he'll and, and, and like those are all guys that I respect greatly. Don't get me wrong. But then he'll, then he'll like send me something, and he'll be, like, he'll be like, "You should read this. This is like, you know, this is yada yada yada." But then it's like whenever I write something, he's just sort of like, "Okay, like we'll, t- we'll take it." Seriously? We'll, we'll, we'll take it with a grain of salt. Like, okay. <laughs> I, was like, wow. I, was like, I was like, all right, damn. Like, that's what it is. All right. Um, you so, haven't your stripes yet, I guess. Listen, listen, my, my dad, no, he knows how to get me. He knows how to get me you know, psychologically in my head. Um, and that, that's a way to do it. But um, so your dad is living rent free in your own head. Oh, my God. Wow. My God. It's bad. It's, and it's been that, way for, been that way for like 24 years. <laughs> Um, All right, Mr. Krell. So listen, need some deep psychology, deep psychoanalysis there. Um, but he said so he'll send me something like, like, oh, they're looking at this guy. I'm like, no, they're not. Look at that guy. That guy is that's just like, <laughs> it's like, a, it's like a courtesy meeting. It's not real. Um, and then he's like, well, how do you know? And I'm like, like just trust me. Just trust me, okay? Um, but anyway, so – so, you know, I think the main candidates are, you know, like Ty Lu, uh, Yudoka, obviously. Mm-hmm. And there are some other names that are sort of like thrown around because they kind of, it kind of makes sense. But <clears throat> the vibe that I get just from like talking to people and, you know, from like what I read is they're not going to take anybody like a, like a Jerry Stackhouse who was recent, who would, I had heard it was sort of like a hot name for them because of the Nick Nurse idea that they were trying to follow, um, okay. and you know the Kenny Atkinson thing was like a, was like a good idea, and because he's a, he's developed guys really well, he's done a good job. Took that team in Brooklyn, um, and you know they went from like a twenty eight win team to a playoff team, and like he turned D'Angelo Russell into a legitimate All Star, um, but you know I, I I I that's sort of like dying down a little bit. Um, the Stanley and Gundy idea was like cute for a second because he was like very much obviously into the job. But the vibe that I get is that they're going to like go for a guy that has a huge, like a big name, like a popular, a popular name, but might not be the, like, but that also implies that he might not be the best coach for the team. And I, I keep thinking they're going to go with like Ty Lu or Jason Kidd. And I'm fine with Ty Lu. Ty Lu is one of the guys that I've advocated for. Uh, um, <clears throat> but I don't want, I, I, you shouldn't want any pieces of Jason Kidd around this team. Yeah. Let me emphasize this. There's a difference between Jason Kidd wanting to coach the Sixers and the Sixers actually wanting Jason Kidd to coach the team. And I think that's getting lost in translation in these past couple of days. Jason Kidd expressed interest, not the other way around. So Austin, I think this job requires a few nuances but the main one would really be I think experience with players and 
by players, I don't mean G League players or players that you can develop as TJ McConnells or Dario Sarches. I mean Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving-esque players. Players with an ego, making a lot of money, that contribute in the game more than nine or ten other players on the floor. Uh, so you need a guy that has both experience with these types of players and experience in the playoffs. And there really isn't that large of a pool of coaches right now that can fulfill that. So you speculate that it, it'll be a, a, a Ty Lu or somebody similar to his coaching style. But then again, you never know which direction the organization is going to go in. And there's probably still some moves the organization is going to make uh, within their front office. So a lot remains to be seen. But right now, I think the most feasible candidate would be Ty Lue. I agree with you there, Austin. Uh, but I wouldn't rule out a player like – or not a player, a coach rather, like Jerry Stackhouse. I'm not saying he's the guy that will get hired. But I think Philadelphia could also have a trick up their sleeve. You might want to go with a voice not in the organization, uh, somebody that may have never been around Joel or Ben, somebody that may be younger. You never know. Um, so I, I think a lot remains to be seen with the coaching position there. Yeah, and I think – there are like two things you can't do and one thing that you need to do when it comes to hiring the next head coach of this team. The thing that you that you need to do is whoever it is, you got to be damn certain is going to hold guys accountable, is not yeah. going to you know elevate Joel and Ben above everybody else and put them on a pedestal. They need accountability more than anything, um, and so that so that's what the next the next head coach, no matter who it is, has to provide. Um, it has to set a culture that way. And two things that you can't do. Number one is unless Elton Brand is like and completely in charge of the decision making process for the next head coach, meaning like it's like the Sixers and essentially front office is like two disconnected bodies. Like one is, you know, like the pips that are that are like, you know, the the the, the names that we all know that are on the FBI's most wanted list. The boys trying to move on the uh, the Delaware waterfront. No, 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 not 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 that one. Not that one. I mean, the ones that are in the front office with the uh, with crunching um, numbers. Okay. Um, the nerds. Right. So, 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 I mean, unless you have them in like two different boats, where it's like Elton Brand's the one making the decisions, and then they're just completely disconnected from it, and they don't have anything to do with it. You got it. You got to get the front office out of here and get the new and, and get and just clean clean house before you bring in a new coach because uh-huh. you can't you can't let any of these uh, these Colangelo leftovers have any kind of you know voice in this because the, the, I mean it's time to move on from them and they've done nothing but bad <laughs> um and then you know the 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 one thing another thing that you can't do is <clears throat> you you can't you have to actually like evaluate um you know, the, these, these candidates, you can't just, um, you know, um, you know, chase like the, like, like the best name and, 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 you know, that, that kind of thing. It's, it, you, they have to do a legitimate search for, for a next head coach. Um, and, you know, cause the, you get one more shot at this one more shot. You got to get it right. And I, I, I just don't, know that I believe they're taking it seriously enough where they're considering like all the best candidates. Um, and while I think like Jerry Stackhouse would be an interesting option or interesting name. Um, I think that like the big thing that you can't, you can't do, then this kind of doesn't build well for Ty Lue, but the one thing you can't do is it can't be somebody who would plausibly have favoritism towards one of Joel and Ben or even both. So, so like, in other words, Tyler was obviously connected to Ben. That's a conflict of interest to me. And clutch, right? That, that, that doesn't, that doesn't bode well for Joel. And, and it also, you know, means that is you know, there's reason to believe that he might not be able to maximize the most out of, out, out of, out of uh, Ben. So it has to be someone who is a neutral third party to both and is completely independent of, you know, the guys that, have been sort of the supporting cast in their front office it has to be separate from all of those. And I think, you know, what, while, while I think they're, they're going to make a hard push for Ty Lu for better or for worse. Um, I think he's going to be like one of the finalists. I really do. And it also wouldn't shock me if, 
everyone's like, oh, like who wouldn't want the Sixers job? If the Sixers end up be getting like their third or fourth choice, because you know Ty Lue, I, I I know Kevin Durant wants from Brooklyn, right? Kevin Durant wants Pop or um, or or Ty, Ty Lue, and I also know that <clears throat> uh, Steve Nash is also a, a dark horse candidate for the Nets job oh, because okay. because 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 Kevin loves Steve Nash; they're like very close in their relationship. So that's something that, that I've heard as well from a couple of different people. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if they got like their third or fourth choice. And by the way, I don't think Jay Wright's coming here. Like it just, it's not, I, don't I, no. I, I think it doesn't I, make sense. It, no, I'll, I'll let you speak on that because you're, you're more well-versed with the Villanova chatter. Well, I think for me, the thing that just like doesn't make sense to me uh-huh. is the fact that if you go and, you look at the economy and you look at what Jay Wright's feasibly going to require in terms of money to, to get him to leave basically his perch in Villanova across, you know, atop his, uh, his golden chair on Villanova where he's basically has the job for the rest of his life, can do no wrong. The Pope. Makes, makes, makes millions anyway, as it is. So what, what, you know, he doesn't need the job. You're going to have to pay massive, massive, massive dollars to get him to think about it. And, I just don't know that in this economy where you have a, a loss of you have you know a loss of revenue, you're not getting you know people coming into games every night for fans. You're not getting people buying jerseys in stadiums, um, and you, you know it's a big. It, there's a lot of uncertainty about this year, next year. I just don't know that I believe that that anyone want, that, that that the Sixers are going to want to spend the money to bring uh, to bring in Jay Wright. I don't know that they care. I don't know that that, that Harris and Blitzer care enough about the, the team to to do that. Um, and so that's kind of why I don't think number one is going to happen uh, for them. But two, I just don't think it's the right fit for Jay. Like, there, I I was going to tweet this the other night, but I just couldn't find the right way to word it. Mm-hmm. There are twenty nine teams in the NBA that are a much 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 better fit for Jay Wright than the Sixers are. Like, he should consider all twenty nine other teams before he considers the Sixers. Yeah, <laughs> it makes it, it I, makes it makes no sense for him at all. I don't know why at the moment he would leave Villanova. Uh, you made some really good points in which I agree with. But the thing I want to say about evaluating coaches is that this isn't something where you could look towards a trend of offensive rating over the course of four seasons or the frequency of shooting from a certain spot and how effective it was. This is more or less you're evaluating somebody based upon their personality and, and how they were able to maybe handle adversity or a team. And because that's such a tough evaluation, because you may not know what some of the personalities are like, or you may not be familiar with the teams they've been with. Another thing you can look towards is endorsements. Who around the league says good things about who? Uh, and one of those people that people people speak really highly of is Ty Lu, and I think that's why he's drawing interest from Brooklyn and Philadelphia. So I, I can't really say who I think is Philadelphia's priority for head coach, because really, like I said, you don't know, and. To answer Mike Small's question, because Mike commented uh, something that you kind of answered, Austin, would you guys be disappointed if the Sixers hired a coach before cleaning up the front office? Of course. And Austin, you answered that. You need to get rid of all of the cancer, for lack of better term, in the front office before you hire a coach. And if you don't, you're not setting a new precedent. The, the, The culture continues. What happened before in the organization, buddy, buddy with the higher ups continues. All of that continues. So before you hire a new coach, unless it's a really dominant personality like a Greg Popovich or Imani Williams that can maybe change the culture, you need to change the culture from the top down, set a new precedent, and then enter a head coach there. Yeah, I also added a caveat. I said unless it's like a, a decision that's completely like where like this, the front office is basically like disconnected from each other, in which mm-hmm. case it's probably not healthy anyway. But I said it. They need to clean house first, unless it's like a situation where Elton Brand is the sole decision maker, and everyone else is just uninvolved. Which I don't think it would be. So I mean, I think it would have to be where they clean house first. But you just can't have any of those voices that have been there previously whispering Elton Brand's ear, you know, right. on from either shoulder. Um, now, before we get on to our next topic, I do want to bring attention to one thing. Brock, are your ears pierced? Yeah. What? When did that happen? 
They've I been here I for a year. I never noticed that. They look good. I think it's be thank you. It's because I have my AirPods in every episode. Probably I you, used to have hoops. I had, I had hoops. <laughs> not just have studs. You you look like you could easily be a, a fill in on the Jersey Shore. <laughs> oh, man. You know how many times I've heard that in my life? It's 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 an unfortunate compliment that follows me because it's not much of a compliment. Um, hey, but, you know what? Listen, listen, listen. It's it's not it's not it's not an insult. It's not an insult. That's the honestly, Jersey Shore is is, is arguably the greatest reality TV show go. ever assembled. That's just, a dream team of characters on that. Just, just just get some like something baby oil, lather that up, and just go back, and you have the slick back. It's uh, it's perfect. What they say, uh, GTL, Jim Tan Laundry. Oh my god. Um. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyway, let's get back um, to. So matters. The, the the Inquirer reveals last week that the Sixers ownership is looking to build a a, a an arena in sure. uh, Penn's Landing. And, you know, I don't know if it's like in the waterfront or what, um, yeah. but I thought that I, I was reading it. I was at work, my other job, and I was reading it. And I remember I'm like listening to the client and I'm like reading and like, you know, waiting for the client to do something. And then <laughs> I read, I read, oh, it's going to be funded by, by by taxpayer dollars. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm like spitting coffee out, like choking on myself. Like I, 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 I'm like, wait, you're trying to do what? <laughs> and, and, and first of all, let me just say that obviously the team is more valuable if the, if, if they own their own arena, because the, the, having to pay rent or leasing fees for the Wells Fargo center or any arena for that matter is, is, is incredibly expensive. And that lowers the value in the market. Uh, when you're trying to sell a team and so open so owning your own arena um is extremely 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 profitable and it, and it's good for it's good for this for, for the sales value i think it boosts it by like 300 to 500 million dollars in values but that's what, that's what i've that's what i've heard um and so also to get to take into a fact take into account the fact that like what is their motive behind putting it in, in Penn's Landing? Is, is it them trying to say, oh, well, we tried, and then they knowingly do it because they know that it's going to get rejected and then they can go move to Camden? Keep in mind, with, with Camden versus versus Philadelphia, you're changing the taxation of how that works for the people working in the arena. So that, that, that that's a whole other factor to it, a whole other layer. But these, the, these billionaires, I mean, the, the rich truly do get richer. And uh -huh. they're going to try to bait the, 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 the local governments into increasing tax dollars during a time of a pandemic for a team that was awful this season. And they're going to try to also play this game right after they were going to fire people or cut salaries, but also simultaneously try to buy the Mets. What the fuck? <laughs> literally, literally. Like, 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 listen. The fans need to speak up and they need to be loud. And they need to let these owners know, fuck that. We're not going to pay tax dollars for you to have this arena. If you want the arena, you put your own money forth. You go pay hundreds of millions of dollars of your own money to go get it where you want it. And if they threaten to move the Camden, fine. I will go over the bridge. I'll go over the Ben Franklin, Walt Whitman, whatever it is. I'll put, I'll put the address in ways, and I'll drive the Camden and watch the Sixers. Like a carpool. It's cover the Sixers. Yeah, cover the Sixers. I am not going to sit here and, and try to increase the city taxpayer dollars for the sake of an arena for a team that is farther away from winning a championship than it was a year or two years ago. Fuck the owners. No <laughs> fucking way. Not a chance. I'm sorry. We can't let this happen. We being the people who, who have a duty to cover the team, but also as residents of Philadelphia, as and also the fans. Fans cannot let this happen. If they went to the arena, they got to build it themselves. If they want to move to Camden, have fun in Camden. 
we will drop we will drop we will happily expend the 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 the, 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 uh, the gasoline money to drive to Camden if it means that these guys don't get to sit on their hand they get they get to sit on their wallets while while, while taxpayers are the ones funding the the, the, the project of, of of giving them an arena that they can later use to sell the team and profit more off of so fuck that so this is a quote that I took from the Inquirer article. I, I assume it's the same one you referenced, but owning a sports franchise is now about how it fits into a larger wealth generating portfolio. So in other words, you could rent a store in the mall and pay to rent that store and yield all of the revenue for your individual store, or you can just simply own the mall and have everybody pay you to use the mall and then your revenue is double or triple. And that's what Philadelphia is trying to do. Uh, they're trying to follow in the steps most recently of Golden State and Detroit in where they're turning their stadium. And by the way, the Sixers currently are tenants at a stadium, so they share it. They're paying to rent. And instead, they'd like to make more money. And I can't say I'm upset about that because it's what's going to happen in the future. Other teams are going to do it. And right now, Philadelphia is in a position where they can try to capitalize. But here's where I'm not happy. Yeah, you better say, but. You better say. You can't end it on that point. Here's where I'm not happy, right? Some of what Philadelphia did, or, or at least some of the writers when, when they released these articles about what Philadelphia intended to do, kind of front-loaded the articles with really good buzz phrases and, and words like, there would be no direct appropriation of taxpayer money or that neighborhood improvement zone, which is who they intend to use to finance the project would be funded through future city and state tax revenue. So again, a little murky, somebody down the line is going to have to pay for it. And they even promised upwards of $1 billion in economic benefits for communities Uh, of color through construction operations. So the sell is we build this beautiful new complex It's going to have all these attractions you can get here. It's going to be an economic boom. Everybody in the area is going to be thriving. But when you really do your research, it's a lot uglier than that. Uh, When the team went to Camden to build their new practice facility, uh, the state of New Jersey gave them an $82 million tax break. Okay. And and this is based on how much they spent on the facility, but regardless, they got an $82 million tax break from New Jersey there. And when I said this would be funded, the, the neighborhood improvement zone, who was going to finance the project through future city and state tax revenue, people are furious because they're saying there's schools that are under underfunded. We, we need education reform. There's not enough homeless shelters. There, there's a homeless, I guess, epidemic. There's all of these problems and there's also a pandemic, mind you. There's all of these problems that are going on in the world, let alone in the city of Philadelphia. And these guys sitting up in their million-dollar penthouse suites or on their yachts, wherever they are, are just doing this plan and how they can get a little richer, how they can make their money, make them more money. And that's what's happening. And, and honestly, Austin, I had a conversation with my dad about this. They're under contract until Mr. 2031. Landis. What did he say? He he basically fueled everything I just said. He, 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 he kind of helped me formulate my opinions here, but <laughs> they are under contract until 2031. So a, a little, what year is this? 2020? Yeah. So over a decade, right? If the city approves of this, do you think Philadelphia is going to wait another eight to nine to 10 years for the contract to expire? If the city approves, Philadelphia will find a way to break that lease. They'll take it to court. They'll get the right lawyers. I don't know what they'll do, but if they have enough money to do this and they've gotten an $82 million tax break, they're capable of breaking the lease. So if this gets approved before 2031, I can see them seceding from that stadium and building one on Penn's Landing. Um, but it's just crazy that that – Right now, of all times, was the time when these guys decided to propose this. Yeah, it's just 
Like, can you imagine like a personal PR person for Josh Harris just reading this shit? And they're just like, <laughs> they're like, bro, they're, they're just like, what the? You guys just signed Al Horford to a hundred nine million dollar contract <laughs> and, and got bounced in a Toro sweep. Now you want to like at least go on vacation for a week? Wait till you get home from the bubble. Like, they're just like, what the? It's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> they're like, all right, we had a horrible year. We're losing a lot of respect. Let's get our it's, asses to the landing and rich enough so we can sell the team and and, and get the hell out of here. Yeah, it's it's just it's unbelievable. And um and I you know, I, I gotta I gotta tell you, it's just it's I I can't believe well no, I can believe, but I'm just so massively disappointed in the in the ethics and the morals of the franchise or at least the ownership to, to try to pull this shit off. Um, and you know, I, I, if, 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 if they get this, well, first of all, some people say like, well, isn't like, 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 isn't this worth it? Cause it means it can get them out faster. Could also work the other way where if you don't give them what they want, they're just like fuck it, and they just sell the team anyway because they're just like, all right, we're not getting one out of this. Just fucking sell them. Harris is a demon, bro. He's he's a demon. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. He gave he he gave Woj after the Sixers got bounced 4-0 in the first round of the playoffs. He gave Woj like a three sentence PR statement <laughs> on notes. I'm like. It's unbelievable, Austin. It's unbelievable. But my 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 dad texts me, Jimmy Butler, twenty nine points. The trade that ruined the Sixers, more heart than Simmons and Embiid put together. Okay. Oh God. That's 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 old man, old man Krell for you right there. That's certainly not well, a. Not, go ahead. That's certainly you know that's that's a, that's a well thought out statement by my dad. <laughs> um. Listen, these guys have been on, on – I, I mean, your dad's been on earth for, for double the Two. time you've been on earth. Double the time you've been on earth. So, you know what, Austin? He's thinking in his head. He's like I, – I he's just sending the text. He's just doing his thing. He's been, he's been inheriting this planet for, for more than you'll ever understand. So, to him, it doesn't matter. Well, so I'll tell you. It's like – other night we're at, we're at like – I'm like talking to my uncles and my dad. And one of my uncles goes, you know who they need? They need a guy like Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? All other 29 teams. And, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like oh. Well, against, uh, with Joe and Joe like, and Al Horford. Like, 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 they just, after a certain point, they just don't understand the game anymore. And it, it's, 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 it's like, what can, I, I don't know. My, 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 my dad is, is just something. I mean, <laughs> It's a miracle that I ended up the way I ended up, with like in terms of like my basketball mind when I came from that seed. Like I, I, I just wow. it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, now the the, the Pacers, you know, you got to fight fire with fire sometimes. Um, now the Pacers they they fire they fire Nate McMillan this past week, and yep. um and and this was like two weeks after they extended him. Literally, so they, give, they give the guy an extension. And then, literally two weeks later, they say, "No, nah, we're good. Actually, you, you, you can you can buzz off." That's pretty bad outlook for 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 people coming to Indiana. Yeah, that, that's not the greatest of things. Um, definitely not a message you want to send to future employees. Um, but listen, a lot of people came to Nate McMillan's defense. Uh, I, I saw Bobby Marks most notably tweeted right after he got fired instead of. Listing the three and sixteen playoff record of Nate McMillan, Indiana should have put no Sabonis this year, uh, no Aladipo the year prior. They lost to Cleveland in seven games the year before that, and the year before that they lost a combined sixteen points to Cleveland in all but one game. They lost to Cleveland uh, by within five points. But I think people really need a reality check here. Uh, it's it's a terrible message to send, and it's it's definitely a gut wrenching move. And and Nate McMillan. Uh, spoke about it, and he didn't really have anything bad to say about Indiana. But Victor Oladipo is going to be an unrestricted free agent that 
apparently doesn't intend on returning to Indiana. I don't want to publicly say that, but um, I, I know there are destinations that are probably more plausible for all deeper than Indiana. Uh, they've got swept he three times. He fans yeah. active, active, actively like, photoshopping hate jerseys on the Victorola Divas wedding. <laughs> Everyone, everyone's been been photoshopped into a heat jersey. Even um, I photoshopped into a heat jersey. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I mean they've been swept three times in the in their previous four postseasons, and Nate McMillan is really a, a defensive-minded coach. Uh, their offense lacks exactly that offense. Uh, oftentimes it resembled Brett Brown's offense, just with more pick and roll. Uh, there was little to no off-ball movement. It's really one or two men uh, operating in the half court. Everybody else is kind of staying still, and a lot of times when when the offense collapses they really can't win games. So so there's some nights where Aladipo, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner, uh, TJ Warren, these guys will score 20-plus points and, and have double-doubles and have really great games, and Indiana just still loses. So at the end of the day, uh, I think Indiana knows that they may not be able to retain Victor Aladipo. Uh, Miles Turner never really got developed into the star he was supposed to be, and the direction of their, their organization – could be completely altered uh, based on what happens in free agency. So I think they want to go with maybe a different mind, somebody that might initiate offense a little more. So I've seen uh, Mike D'Antoni, Kenny Atkinson, a couple of names inked to um, or linked rather to to Indiana. But yeah, a lot of people were, were shocked by that because it was two weeks after he got that one year extension. Yeah, and the, and the other thing that I see, like, you make a good point, but. To me, it reeks of something that's a little bit more concerning for the organization than, than that. Because mm-hmm. someone obviously told the GM, or someone obviously empowered the, the Indiana's uh, president of basketball operations or GM. I, I don't know who that is. I forget who it is. Um, but someone empowered him. Is it, it's not Larry Bird, is it? I think he stepped down from it. He probably did, but continue. It might be Kevin Pritchard. I should look that up, but I think it might be Kevin Pritchard. I think it is. Um, but someone empowered him to make – yeah, it's Kevin Pritchard. So someone empowered him to make the decision to give the extension, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, someone, you know um, – you know, and, and so, so, so they send out this one message that, hey, you know, like, we want this guy around. We believe in him. Um, and – then you have, you know, this decision that's cut, that comes down almost out of – not out of nowhere, but kind of in a sense out of nowhere. Um, and it communicates that there's a level of disconnect above in the Pacers franchise, and there's, a, there's, there's an element of incongruence. And to me, like you can get a new coach. You, you can get a new coach, maybe someone who's better than Nick McMillan probably um, – but that that should be more worrisome that they have two clashing pieces above that are on different levels of communication or are on different you know um, different trains of thought, and that's where you get into danger with the franchise when you have one person telling you to do this and you have an owner pulling you in a different direction. That's how you, that's how you end up like the Sixers. <laughs> Exactly. So to me, great turmoil. So to me, that was like an okay. This is something to really watch out for, and this is something that is, is certainly worth monitoring. And, and quite frankly, is very is dangerous for them. It's very dangerous for them. Um, Prince Blue says Mike D is coming. I believe he means Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. I wouldn't hate Mike D'Antoni as the head coach of the Sixers, but I also don't know how that works because, I mean, they're shooting 63s a game in Houston. I don't even know that anyone wants the Sixers shooting 63s in a single game. <laughs> so <laughs> I wouldn't watch it. I mean, it, it, <laughs> like, like not we need them to, playing right now. I wouldn't watch like, it. We, we need them to shoot more threes, but 60 in a game would be like, what, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> Um, and then I mean, you Prince, saw what happened when they shot more or, or a higher volume of threes. That's why their road record was so bad. All they did in the road was chuck up threes early in the shot clock. They they doubled their amount from home. 
that's why there was such a disparity. That was the only the only thing you could really look to. Yeah. Uh, Prince also says Oladipo is a guy. He's not a star or a superstar. I I doubted I doubted him for a while, and I will say that he's been he was uh, up until that 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 near that knee injury. I forget what like, it was like a dislocation or something. It was like a uh, patella ruptured patella. I think and he yeah. I think he ruptured patella, and um and so up until that, like he went from like a guy who was almost like bordering bust category to like now one of the most explosive shooting guards actively in the NBA. And he was sort of kind of getting into this like Dwayne Wade kind of thing where he was just killer in the pick and roll, super athletic, super active, uh, just the killer mid-range shot. And, you know, he has, he's kind of had trouble since, but I, I, I gotta tell you, I think he's above star level. But not quite superstar. I don't think he'll ever get superstar because I think he's already 28, 29, and he's now dealing with injury history. But I think he's better than like just like a borderline star. I I I, I certain if Tobias Harris gets a max contract, Victor Oladipo is definitely yeah. you. You can definitely take that to arbitration and be like, listen, you see this guy getting a max contract? My client is worth a max contract, and they're like, like like it's fair point. You're not wrong, <laughs> um, but. So let's move on to, um, you know, so like obviously you have um, the, you know, the, 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 the terrible shooting of Jacob Blake. And right. you know, it's obviously, it's a, it's a very incredibly sensitive topic. And as, as two white young men and me, you know, I, I know I'm pretty privileged. I can't speak for you, but I would imagine that you, you and I, you and I have grown up you know, in a pretty safe environment where we haven't had to, had to, had to deal with some of the things that a lot of people have. Um, and that's just being white. I mean, we hadn't even scratched the surface of, of, of what it's like to be, to be black and we'll never know. Um, but, and we can't even pretend to know, but we can, we can be there to support and, and to say like, Hey, like you're not in this by yourself. We got your back. Like, 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 like we're all, we're all human beings. And, you know, we have a duty as, as people in society to, to find a way to happily coexist or at least aid in a culture of coexistence. And so I thought the best way for the players to say like, like, no, you know, what, owners like, like this is bigger than basketball and, and, and we're, and we're not, we're going to call you out on your bullshit this time. We're not going to come out and play until there's, until you, you show legit effort to make change. And mm-hmm. The best way to, to, to hit these owners is to hit them in the wallet because they, they love their money and they don't like it when someone takes it from them. And I thought it was a really good idea. I thought it was a brilliant. I thought it was necessary. And I thought it was aggressive. And I think you need aggressiveness more so than ever right now. Yeah, necessary is a really important word. Um, this was most definitely necessary. And the thing that I'm really enjoying about all of these protests is that Austin, this is probably, if not the most, one of the most impactful and largest wide-scale protests or, I guess, movements of activism in professional sports that you have ever witnessed, I have ever witnessed, and the sports world has ever witnessed. So whereas you may have had previously like predominantly one race or predominantly one group in a sport, protesting against whether it be systematic racism or some sort of injustice, you now have widespread activism. You have players and coaches equally kneeling. You have management making statements. You have tennis players, swimmers, golfers, women's basketball players. You have everybody standing in unison for one goal right now. And I think because of that, we're seeing something historic. And the unique thing is this is only the beginning. So Basketball players, more than NFL and MLB right now, have a lot of empowerment. But this is not even scratching the surface. I mean, the players are empowered enough now to dictate what they want in their contracts or or maybe if they want to get traded, have some leverage, and even stand up and decide not to play. But the players are continuing to grow empowered, and they're using this platform brilliantly. 
speaking after games, before games, avoiding any basketball questions and talking about the things they want addressed right now. And I think credit, I, I have to pay forward to like Adam Silver, the Players Association, Chris Paul, LeBron James, everybody that, that that's kind of making this all work, the, w, the WNBA, because this isn't just one person. This is a collective. And everybody as the collective is doing their part. And, and I think that's awesome. People are contributing in different ways with different messages on their uniform, different shoes. And the reason why the players decided not to play is because they said what we're doing right now with these messages is obviously not enough because a black man was shot seven times in his back. And, and unfortunately, that's, that's a double standard in America because compliance may work for certain races, but if you don't comply to somebody's personal expectations, it can end in a result in the loss of a life. And that's predominantly, and, and I'm going to say mostly only for, for black people that have to experience that. So it's something that I have never experienced, but I'm 110% going to stand behind and keep supporting. And the thing that really bothers me, Austin, is that I can't seem to really find the words to tweet anything about it. And I've kind of had this internal battle for a couple of weeks now, like about not making a public statement because I feel as if, if I rush to make these public statements and I'm just putting stuff out there, it's, it's kind of like, I'm just doing it to do it. Like I I'm just doing it. So I, I really want to think about what I want to say and what I want to put out. And, and it, it's hard to encapsulate how I feel and, and to put it to words. And, and, and frankly, I also think that like, just because I don't put things on social media, I don't feel a certain way about it. So I kind of stay off of social media and collect all of my thoughts and see things from the perspective I want to see them from. And it just, it really infuriates me that I go onto social media and I just see people no matter what opposing, they're constantly opposing. There always has to be disagreements on a, on a very simple level. Sports are a microcosm for our society. So it's like, you have to have this Michael Jordan and LeBron James debate. You can't appreciate both of them. It's either LeBron James and death to Michael Jordan or vice versa. And the thing I see now, it's like people are, are, are defending a cop shooting anybody in the back seven times. Like people think because he has a history of this or there was warrant for that, him getting shot in the back seven times is okay. And it's not. And people argue like, well, he shouldn't be kneeling for this. He shouldn't. And it's just infuriating to see these people constantly opposing and constantly undermining. And it just doesn't make sense to me. So I'm glad that athletes are empowered now to say what they want to say and really make the owners and people who disagree feel it. And I think they should continue to continue doing it. And it's only going to grow. Yeah. And, you know, I try to, so I try to walk the line of, it's not, like like the shut up and listen because it's it's not if I if I if I try to come out and be active about it as 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 a young privileged white male, it is automatically going to communicate this message that like I understand what they're going through and I can't and for me to try to do so is offensive in itself, and so I saw I there there are, I stick to a couple of main points and the main points that I stick to are this. You can show me a laundry list of, of different offenses that 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 Jacob Blake or, or or George Floyd had or whatever. None of those individual offenses, none of those none of those offensively none of those offensive none of those offenses individually or collectively is enough to justify sitting on the guy putting a knee on the guy's neck for nine minutes. Right. Or shooting a man who is, by all accounts, unarmed seven times in the back with his kids in the back seat. Mm-hmm. There's, there, the, the, you can't justify that no matter what the guy has on record. And it'd be one thing if, like you know, if like he, like you know, you're you're chasing a suspect, you know, a, a serial killer. Okay, but 
it's not like he's shooting at you. He's just trying to reach for something in in in, in his car. And as a, as a, as an officer, if if everything is done correctly, you're trained to restrain and maybe use like a taser or stun gun whenever you have, and then use it. And then you know if if, if you feel if you feel threatened upon, or there or you know there 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 there's firing towards you. Then okay, then you then you have the right to defend yourself using using a, using guns, but there's no way with the with, with the evidence and this and the stories that we've heard that 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 the force and the and the tools used to inflict the damage should have been used. That's there's no way you can justify that. That's number one. Exactly. There's that, that's number one. Number two is. People say like, "Well, I'm at the show this weekend. I'm at the show this weekend, and I'm, I'm, I'm eating breakfast with my mom and dad. And there's a there's a parade coming down the way, and it's these blue flags, and it's it's people beeping for cops, and that's like blue lives matter. And you know, this a bunch of old people, so they're all like, "Yeah, blue lives matter." I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, mm-hmm. police actively choose that profession. Mm-hmm. It's not blue lives matter. They're not. They can't. They can wake up one day and say, "Hey, you know what? I don't want to be blue anymore. I, I don't want to be a cop anymore. I want to retire. I want to quit. Whatever." You can do that to, to, to make, create this false equivalency to 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 to, to 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 you know black lives is ignorant because black people can't wake up at any given day and say, "Hey, you know what? I want to take this off. I don't want to do this anymore." No, this is their life. This is this is what a real life looks like. It's permanent, can't be undone. With a cop, with, 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 with the police officer profession, it's an active choice, and you can stop anytime you want. So that's that's sort of the two main points that I see that that, that debunk, you know, the 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 other way that people try to go with it. Okay, and and the reason why we say that this is bigger than basketball is because this Jacob Blake incident is not the first time it's happened. Uh, if we traveled a decade back, Austin, you and I can have this same conversation about a different victim. And a decade back, the same conversation, except the further back you go, the worse these people were treated. And to this day, black people are disproportionately treated, or, or I should say, victims of people that are abusing their power or people of authority, police officers. They are, are, are treated disproportionately or killed disproportionately compared to the rest of other races. So at the end of the day, I don't know why you have to create these, these other Lives Matter campaigns to undermine Black Lives Matter. Because at the end of the day, all lives can't matter until all lives matter. So when Black lives start to matter, then all lives can matter. But to create these campaigns to undermine the Black Lives Matter movement. It's ridiculous because they're fighting against oppression. They're fighting against systematic racism. They're fighting against things of this sort that other people haven't had to deal with. And it's just ridiculous to me that people try to undermine that or they take a different side. And, and I really never speak on this. So, so this is really rare for me to be doing this, but I can confidently say that I know I'm on the right side of history and, and I'm completely fine with that. Yeah, no, for sure. And the last thing I'm going to say is like, people will say like, well, Hey, what about the, you know, like you don't hear anything about it when it's, when it's, when it's you know, a, a, a black man shooting a black man or, or, or what have you. It's another false equivalency because police are literally paid to protect communities, and right now they're using their power to target and to 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 inflict injustices. And right now, it's it, it, it you can't you can't equate and say like okay, well, what about a, what about a black man killing a black man? That's not how that works because. You're, you're, that's just two civilians who are doing whatever they're doing, and one does it. Another one is literally representing the shield, is literally rep- representing the state government, and they're using their power to harm and terrorize a group over the color of their skin. 
and that, that, that's that's not even in the same stratosphere as you know like oh what you know why we hear about it in this case but we hear about it when it's a when it's a white guy on a black because it's a police officer on duty using power to to to, to inflict harm versus someone who is doing you know whatever they're doing and you know maybe it's you know it's it, it, it's it's whatever it is it is but you can't equate a non-police you know crime because of the color of skin to a cop actively seeking to to, to harm a, 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 a an innocent individual or someone who isn't worthy of what of what the harm is because of the color of their skin and and and, we, and you can't equate that you can't try to equate that and that's where i think you know a lot of these people who are who are seeing from the other side that's where they're getting it wrong and i have no problem being on the other side of history um you know i see i see the viewers are actively going down and that's okay with me um this is a con this is these are conversations that need to be had whether you want to hear them whether you're comfortable with them they have to be had um Mm -hmm. and you know anonymous alligator says black lives matter absolutely 100 percent um now getting back to basketball because this is after all a basketball podcast. <laughs> um, let's see here. Where were we? We were. So the Bucks the other night. By the way, the Bucks they, they, they lose to the Heat tonight. Jimmy Butler has forty points. Um, the recently the brand. <laughs> <laughs> recently acclaimed Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo allows Jimmy Butler to have a 40 piece, which I thought when you're the defensive player of the year, like I get it. Team defense is absolutely a thing, but I would think when you're the defensive player of the year, you're supposed to guard the other team's best player. Aren't you? Isn't that how that works? Mm-hmm. And yet Butler has 40 points and the heat win by 11. Um, but that's not the point of what I'm saying here. I think the bucks are shooting a lot more threes. And I think they're almost bordering on this Houston Rockets philosophy, but it's not as Houston Rockets-y as the Houston Rockets. <laughs> like they're not they're not shooting sixty threes. But the other day against the Magic, when they went on Saturday, when they when they closed the series out, they shot eighty eight shots. They took forty five threes. Over half of their attempts were threes, mm-hmm. and. You know, they only made, like, I think, like, below league average uh, percentage from, from, from deep. And I think it was, like, 355, three whatever. I forget. 365, maybe. I forget. Um, but the idea of them buying more into this concept of, like, hey, we got to jack threes when Giannis isn't just dunking it on everybody, that makes them infinitely more dangerous. Because if they're shooting 45, 50 threes a game, and you know the majority of their non-Giannis dunking dunking possessions are three are, are threes. The numbers say they're going to make a lot of the threes, even if even if they miss a lot. If you take a lot, you're going to make a lot. Mm-hmm. And if they're making 16, 17 threes per game, and that math just is inevitably going to outplay the math of the of the opposition, and then you add Giannis to the mix, they can space that floor out even more, and they can they can they can become even an even more dangerous offensive team. Yeah, of course. So with basketball, especially in the playoffs, if the game slows down and in the half court you need more production, you need to outshoot your opponent. And you need to do that with shooting more threes in the present day. So for Milwaukee, if they can't get these transition buckets and the game slows down, so you have to create more in the half court, you got to shoot more. And this is why they attempted the second most threes in the playoffs in the first round at least, behind the Houston Rockets. They increased their amount of threes per game by about three in the first round, and they only shot over 53s three times this season, and one came this month. Here's where it's interesting. In the first round against Orlando, and Orlando isn't a good defensive team, Milwaukee played to the norm. Uh, Brooke Lopez shoots around 36 from three in that series. Eric Bledsoe, sub 30%, so that's to be expected in the postseason with Eric Bledsoe from 
deep. George Hill around 40%. Uh, he's one of the more consistent three-point shooters on that team. Kyle Korver and Mar- Marvin Williams both contribute from deep. Chris Middleton uh, over 37%. But the caveat is that Giannis attempted the second most threes on the team that series, and he made almost 40% of them. So when you add Giannis and Kumpo's transition buckets, his buckets in the half court where he's just barbecued chicken frying his opponents, taking dudes in the post, muscling his way to the basket. If you take all of that and add a three-point shot, it's only going to make the team better. And mind you, in the first round, Giannis led the NBA in rebounds and top 10 free throws attempted. So he's getting rebounds. He's getting to the line. He's dominating. If he can hit that three ball and the players around him can hit the three ball, they will run teams off of the court. But tonight, Miami, they had a much better night. And I think that's going to happen throughout this series. I think both this series and the Toronto-Boston series are going to go the distance. It's two really good teams with really good offenses and really good defenses. So Milwaukee, they are attempting more threes. But the problem with Giannis is the thing that held him back in the regular season and in the playoffs so far is his woes at the free throw line. So regardless of how how effective he is from the field or how many rebounds he grabs, he gets to the line and he just can't convert. He's hitting less than 65% of his shots there. And tonight was a rough night at the line for him as well. So uh, all of this is good and well, but you need to ex- execute the fundamentals. You need to hit your free throws. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, Joel tweeted out like a little while ago. It was like, uh, <laughs> he tweets, if question, uh, you know, like, 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 like dot, 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 implying that like, like, like what if Jimmy had stayed? <laughs> and it's like, it's like now people the enemy like, like, what does this mean? Like, like he misses Jimmy. I'm like, I'm like, how many times do we have to, t- like, do we have to go over this? Elton Brand said they're not going to trade. Well, unless Joel requests a trade, of course, but you know, they're, they're, they're you know, they're not going to trade Jimmy. I mean, they're not, they're not going to trade. Um, they're not going to trade Joel. And he said like, like countless times, I want to be here the rest of my career. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, like, like what we get out of continuing to do this. And I got news for you. Like all we have to do is just draft like one guy who can create his own shot. And if it, and, and if you develop that guy, well, like Joel could forget about Jimmy Butler. Like, like, like we, 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 we hold way too much stock in this relationship that they have. Um, but yes, I, I, I do agree with you. Um, about about you know the, about what you said about Giannis. Now, did you see the the, the PJ Tucker versus the Dennis Schroeder thing? I, I feel strongly about that. <laughs> what do you what do you feel about that? So, I mean, look, PJ set a normal screen, but I think PJ Tucker is is one of the better screen setters in the league when it comes to setting illegal screens, uh, get, getting away with illegal screens and. I think he gets away with a lot of these whistles because he's six six or shorter, going against guys that are true centers. Uh, so uh, of course he's going to get the benefit of the doubt when he's setting screens. And Dennis Schroeder's comment after the game makes it seem like it was really innocent. Uh, he said it's just unfortunate. I went between his legs. That's what I do when I try to maneuver the screen or grab somebody to go over the screen. But it's just unfortunate I went between his legs. So the reason why I feel strongly about this is because. Dennis Schroeder knew the screen was coming. There was two screens and he already came around the first. He knew the screen was coming. And I honestly think that he did intentionally hook Tucker. I think Schroeder has, has a history of doing that. And because he has a history of doing it, I don't care that he did it. I think he intentionally hooked Tucker because look, bro, you got to guard James Harden all night. This dude's scoring 45 plus a night. You got to fight your way around screens every single possession when he's not just cooking you off the isolation. So it's like, of course, you're going to hook a guy. You need to get around that screen to stay in somewhat of the same area as James Harden. But then again, I don't know, man. PJ Tucker got his kahunas hit pretty hard. It looked like that could have been 
on purpose. Like it looks like Schroeder had a little bit of torque and he got under there real well. So I, I don't know. I like Schroeder. I've always liked Schroeder. He's been balling out this series. He had a uh, 29, 30 and 19 in the previous three games. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of turn a, a blind eye here and say, I, I think he intentionally hooked them and, uh, that was the end of it. Uh, PJ Tucker obviously has a right to get mad and attempt to headbutt him. Um, but I mean, come on, man, it's basketball. It's, it's bound to happen. At least Dennis Schroeder's not out here running on guys' ankles and putting them in chokeholds and smacking them on the head. That step on the ankle was horrific. And like, 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 okay, the 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 hit across the shoulder. Was like a very Marcus Morrissey thing to do, yeah. but but to step on that ankle and it was obviously intentional. Step on that ankle and then afterwards, like 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 if anyone knows me, they know I'm like you know I'm not like that. Like shut the fuck up. We all know what you are. Like come on, that was as dirty as they come, and that was I mean and Marcus Morris doesn't have to be that guy. He's a very talented basketball player. He doesn't have to be that like that 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 fake tough guy. Um, you know, like, like, like he can have that toughness to him, but he doesn't have to be that douchey about it. Um, and so, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I wanted, I, I thought that they should have fined him, um, and suspended him for two games in the next round. But then wow, one really? Yeah. Oh yeah. What about PJ Tucker? Any, any, any suspension or, or no? Cause it was just retaliation with the headbutt. Nah, um, no. nah. It was, it, it, that that I'm cool with. Um, Dennis Schroeder don't have to worry about it though, because he's getting sent home in a couple of days, so he, he doesn't have to. Oh worry. wow, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, Come on, man. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, go ahead. This is great content. But, oh, here we go. Come on, man. Oh, man. <laughs> um, anonymous Alligator says, Mook ankle step was dangerous. It was not only dangerous, it was also extremely, extremely dirty. Like, there's dirty shit, and then there's, like, nah, I'm trying to hurt this dude. Like, and, and, and you don't even need to hurt Luca to win the series. It would, it would, it would, you would have. It's been an either it would have been a joke if you, if you, to do that. Um, last thing I want to talk about before we head mm-hmm. off for the night. Um, how about Jamal Murray versus um, uh, Donovan Mitchell? What a, what a, who? Both of them. You're right. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. I mean, what a series. And I think what's most impressive hasn't been that like. I think for Jamal Murray, like he was always a good player, right? He was always explosive. He had that, like the footwork. He had that handle. He was a good pick and roll point guard. But the thing about Jamal Murray that I think is like so cool right now is that he's stepping up as the he's he's getting hotter, progressively hotter as the game wears on, and we're getting to the point where he's like in the fourth quarter and he's not missing a thing. I mean, you're getting in the crunch time and he's drilling step back threes. He's, you know, he's probing the lanes and he's, you know, drawing fouls on, on jump shots. I mean, and he's on, he's on these heat checks where there there's, there's some level of, of, of movement involved and he's just pump faking and then letting it go. And it's cash. And as impressive as he's been, Donovan Mitchell's been even better. And he's not even doing anything that hard. He's just been so damn efficient. Yeah. Like he he he's coming off of, of Gobert pin downs. He's you know rejecting the ball screen and the, and the, and then going to the left. He's been on fire this series. And, and I don't care what anyone that. says. Donovan Mitchell is real. He's, mm-hmm. he's not a fake star. He's a real star. Yeah. And um, I'm so happy there's a game seven that series tomorrow. I mean, it's just great. It's fantastic ball, and as a fan of the sport, you have to appreciate that. The thing I learned about, I guess, getting rid of the Philadelphia bias or one specific lens with basketball is that there's so much good basketball throughout the league that you are limiting 
yourself to. You're taking it for granted if you're just watching one team because there's so much good ball. There's so many hoopers around the league. And this series, it's on full display. I mean, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray are having a historic playoff series. Jamal Murray, the first player since 2001 to score three consecutive 40-plus performances in playoffs. Uh, I think it's the first time where two opposing ball players have had 50-plus points in the postseason. Uh, Jamal Murray's streak of three games is one of the most productive streaks in the playoffs in NBA history. Like, these guys are absolutely balling, right? And Austin, you probably wouldn't call either of them a top 10 player in the NBA right now. That's indicative of how much talent is around the league. There's a lot of good basketball. A lot of guys are blossoming into stars. There's parity in both conferences. And this year gave birth to a new generation of hoopers in the NBA. A lot of guys under 25, Luka, Jamal, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Ben Simmons, Devin Booker, guys throughout the league. I mean, there's a ball player on almost every team. So if you're just watching one team, you're really taking a lot of good hoops for granted. So you, you get a game seven there. You get more Houston OKC ball. OKC is showing life. And, and I mean, you really can't complain because the NBA has perfectly executed this bubble in the midst of a global pandemic and, and, and systematic racism and things of that sort. So uh, credit where credit's due. The NBA has, has done a magnificent job. For sure. Brock, any last words before we sign off for the night? No, sir. I'm, I'm going to get myself some sleep for Zoom University tomorrow. Uh, Temple <laughs> went online temporarily for a couple of weeks. So uh, we're going to try to navigate throughout this COVID situation as a college student. What time is first class? Uh, not. What time is first class? I think it's nine. <laughs> I think it's nine. It's going to be news to me when I find out right now. There we go. There we go. Well, he's Brock Landis. Check him out on Twitter, at Landis Brock. I am Austin Krell, Krell TPL on Twitter. Um, maybe be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Pods. Leave a rating and, or a five-star rating and a review. Um, also, also follow us on YouTube, uh, at The Painted Lines, and then on Twitter, at The Feed to Embiid again. Um, as always, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Keep the comments coming. We love interacting with you. Have a great night.